my first area there was a lady named Marjorie, and Marjorie was blind, um, but she loved the Book of Mormon, and she read it every single day, and she would just open up the book, and she would just like sit there, and she couldn't, she didn't know Braille or whatever. And, and there's a lot of people like this; they don't know how to read there. Um, we taught them with picture books mostly, to be honest with you. But they would read the Book of Mormon, and, and they would just sit there and soak in the Spirit. Um, <clears throat> and she was a really cool example to me because we, we would go over there, and we would ask if she read her scriptures every day, and she would say yes. And then we would ask her what she learned, and she said, I don't know. <laughs> because she couldn't understand or read anything, but she knew the book was true. Um, and I, that is just an example of amazing faith to me. Somebody that is so sensitive to the Spirit, that the Spirit can testify of them and give them such personal, meaningful experiences that, that the information became maybe a little bit less important. Um, I think that's a great lesson that I learned. Welcome back to another episode of Mission Moments, the podcast where we get to hear about the experiences and miracles of those who have served as representatives of Jesus Christ. My name is Levi Hilton, and I'm super excited for our guest today, one of my good friends, Trenton Smith. Trenton, tell us about yourself. One of your good friends or your best friends? Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here, Levi. I appreciate you having me on, on the podcast. My name is Trenton Smith. Um, originally, I'm from Denver, Colorado. Um, I'm here at BYU, and I'm a pre-business student, so I'm a sophomore right now. I, I don't know. I feel like everybody says they have a unique mission, but I feel like mine was, was pretty unique. Um, so I had two missions, just like I'm sure a lot of people around around this time period. I, I spent about half and half. The first half was in, I served in the Navajo Nation, um, the reservations in Arizona and New Mexico. Um, then I actually went to Bulgaria, which is, you guys probably don't know where it is. It's like a uh, country in Eastern Europe next to Turkey and Greece. Uh, when I first opened the car, I thought I was going to go to Africa. So <laughs> you know, I didn't really know where it was either. So it's been great. You thought Bulgaria was in Africa? <laughs> yeah, but I remember oh, my call, I was like, oh, we're going to Africa. Well, that's not the case. <laughs> so Navajo Reservations, where's your first area on the reservation? Yeah, so my first area was, was a little town called Tohatchi, New Mexico. And the population there's 300 people. Um, <laughs> I, I come from, I'm pretty close to Denver. I come from a big city, so that was quite the culture shock. And you lived in? We, so I, we, we lived in, in trailers, like these RV-looking things. Um, the reason why is because on the reservation, all the land is theirs. And actually, a long time ago, the, the church made a deal with the Navajo people that, that they could build churches there, but it's under the church's name. So they don't own any other property besides the church buildings. And so we literally lived right next to the church buildings in these little trailers because we couldn't live anywhere else. It would have been illegal. So with 300 people like in your city, like how would you find, how would you teach, like what would you do? Yeah, um, I, our actual area was a little bit bigger than that. That was just the, the city that we were uh, I guess stationed in headquarters or whatever, and you know we we did a lot of service. We got to know. I mean, I probably knew every you know all three hundred people <laughs> in that town, and I knew about their family, and their friends, and who was cheating on who, <laughs> and all of it. Um, but I, I think it was really cool. I I really did feel a part of the community, and and the community welcomed me, and um, you know, being a big city boy, all of a sudden I'm out chopping wood every day, and my jeans and my boots and driving trucks. And it, I mean, it was, it was really, really cool, but, but the people love me and I feel like I love them and they knew that. Yeah. Sometimes I hear people talk about the reservations as like a different country within America. Does that live up to the phrase? Oh, I, yeah, I, I can honestly, I, I can't really believe that, that that's the country that we live in. Um, at least like that, that part of it. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's, 
it's I mean it's it's interesting that the on the church's website it's listed as a third world country. Um it the reservations? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. They have like different areas and like what uh I don't know what it is, but it, I mean yeah, I, I definitely think it lives up to that. I mean you've got most of your people without electricity, most of your people without wanting, running water, nobody has heat. Um yeah, I mean the, the people are very humble and they live in very humbling circumstances. It was a uh, it was you know, it makes me really really appreciate uh the things that I have. It, I think anybody would feel that way if they went down there. How did they receive the gospel? Um, they, it, it was interesting. It, it was really, really cool, especially there's there's this uh, Hopi tribe there. I served with them a little bit. And, you know, if you want a testimony of the Book of Mormon, go go to the Hopi tribe. Um, super quick, they, they have this tradition where when their boys turn 15 years old, they, they get a bow and arrow, and they break the bow and arrow, and they bury it super deep in the earth. Um, that's a tradition for, for when, a long time ago, their, their fathers made a promise to the gods that they wouldn't fight anymore. The word Hopi actually means tribe of peace. And so um, for those of you that know a little bit about the Book of Mormon, there's, there's some, some really cool symbolism there with the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. And to this day, when you know the boys turn 15 years old in the Hopi culture, they break the bow and arrow and they bury it as a remembrance to their fathers that covenant with God that they would be the tribe of peace. Um, no and, way. Is that seriously that they attribute it to that? Well, maybe not the Book of Mormon story, but that experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, No way. They, they really believe that. Is that and, Alma 26 maybe? Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. And so they, they've got all sorts of cool stuff like that. They, they also have a story about, um, you know, a man in, and they called it the glowing cave. And the gods came and, and lit the rocks one by one. And they also believe that they were people that came from across the sea. And so, it, you know, it is really, really, really cool. If, if you want a testimony of of the Book of Mormon, go and talk to these people about their culture and about, about their tradition. Um, as far as teaching it, it, it made things very interesting because you would give them the Book of Mormon and they would read it and they say, well, this is the story of our people. Like, you know, they loved it. They would say, this is amazing. And, and they loved it. But, but it was hard when you were talking about things like Joseph Smith and that it was, you know, somebody that, that translated it. Sometimes they didn't really feel a need about it. Like, this is stories that have been handed down from generation to generation. Like, it, they're unbreakable. They've kept this chain. And to talk to them about, uh, you know, some white boy in New York that found the records of their people, um, you got to be really careful how you word that. It can get kind of, a, a, honestly, it can get kind of offensive really, really quickly. Hmm. Um, but I, I never personally served there full time. I've been on it, lots of exchanges there. Um, I have talked to a lot of people there, heard a lot of cool stories, but it is a really, really, really cool place. And, and uh, yeah, it definitely helped my testimony. My first area, there's a lady named Marjorie, and Marjorie was blind. Um, but she loved the Book of Mormon, and she read it every single day. And she would just open up the book, and she would just, like, sit there. And she couldn't – she didn't know Braille or whatever. And, and there's a lot of people like this. They don't know how to read there. Um, we taught them with picture books mostly, to be honest with you. But they would read the Book of Mormon, and, and they would just sit there and soak in the spirit. Um, <clears throat> and she was a really cool example to me because we, we would go over there – and we would ask her if she read her scriptures every day, and she would say yes. And then we would ask her what she learned, and she said, I don't know. <laughs> because she couldn't understand or read anything, but she knew the book was true. Um, and that is just an example of amazing faith to me. It's somebody that is so sensitive to the Spirit, that the Spirit can testify to them and give them such personal, meaningful experiences that, that the information became maybe a little bit less important. Um, I think that's a great lesson that I learned is, you know, I, I feel like as I've built my testimony on my mission, I, I learned that my testimony was built on experiences I've had, not on information I know. Hmm. 
And I feel like when I really adjusted my testimony based on information to experiences, that's really what strengthened it. Um, because information, you know, anybody can say anything they want about information or things like that. Um, but, but when we allow ourselves to have experiences in our lives, you know, those are things that people can't take away from us. And so um, when I was able to transition my testimony from, from being an information-based to being an experience-based, um, I really, really, really knew the church was true. That was a really, really big thing for me. I think that's really important. Um, how did that happen for you? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's important to do everything that we can to have, have the spirit in our lives. Um, I think that's really like the leading and guiding principle. Um, and, and I, I would say just come to know Jesus Christ. I, I learned to love the gospels on my mission in, in third Nephi and, and, you know, serve others, see people the way that he sees him. And that will give you the experiences that you want. Um, and uh, oh my gosh, I was <laughs> it's just, uh, for me that you know the experiences mean everything, um, and, and you become self reliant, you become spiritually self reliant, um, and that, that's it. Just doesn't happen through information. Information, think about it. You know, information changes all the time, um, and so I just invite you. You know, if your if your testimony is completely based off of the information that you know, to to try to transition it and base it on the experiences you've had. Um, experiences do kind of have a short shelf life and so it's important to write them down um, and information isn't a bad thing we need it to, to grow and progress um, but really I would invite you to, to root your, your testimony and your experiences I love that um, and I think sometimes those experiences can be self-created like um, my mission president had a saying he would talk about you need to have a daily experience in the scriptures he was like I don't care how much you're reading he's like for the rest of your life make sure you have a daily experience and one of my favorite verses I came to find in the mission was, I think it's John seven seventeen. It's, if any man shall do his will, meaning the Father's will, he shall know of the doctrine, right? So it's like not by just learning from a book, not by like memorizing the doctrine of the church or that Jesus Christ taught, but it's by doing what he said, experiencing that, that you know, and where your faith becomes knowledge and becomes stronger than anything, stronger than death. And if I got real quick, I, I think a great thing about the mission, and this is what it, what it does for me, and, and this is what I think it does for a lot of people. Um, a lot of the things I did at the beginning of my mission, I did it because I had to. And so you start and you're like, I have to wake up early. I have to read my scriptures. I have to pray. And then a little bit further along my mission, and I, I think for a lot of people, it, it turns into, oh, I should do this. I should pray. I, I should read my scriptures. Oh, I should, you know, go out and go to church and things like this. Um, and I like it's really cool. Because like by the end of your mission, you you just reach this point where, where you don't have to or you should, you know you get to this is who I've become, um, and and it, and it just and it's just part it's just part of who you are, and, and you don't really think anymore about if you have to do something or if you should do something, it's because you, you know you've you've become more like Jesus Christ, and and it's built into your character, um, and, and it's engraved. And I in Alma chapter five, I think it's interesting um, when Alma's writing. The first thing he talks about is receiving the image of Christ in our countenance. Um, but you know, we talk about that verse a lot, and I think there's, you know, it's a great verse. But a little bit later on, he mentions it again, and he says that we need to have the image of God engraven on our countenance. And I've thought a lot about that—the difference between receiving something and having it engraven. If you receive something, right, it's almost Christmas time, right? If you receive a gift, you can take it back. Right? I've done it before. You're like, oh, I don't like the gift. Like, I can take it back. Sometimes I think if we if we receive Christ, you know, maybe sometimes we we take it back. Or we get in a hard situation and, and, and we, we go, oh, we take it back. 
Um, but I'm a second invitation if you engrave something. It's permanent and it's in your heart. Um, and, and I really like the, the contrast there in Alan chapter 5. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I just got him around. No, no, no. That's a good example. And I'm, I'm sure you had experiences of people experiencing the gospel, I mean, even for the first time too, um, and how that does change them. Tell us about some of those. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's so many people that it's like that. I mean, it's, it's cool. Um, I'll talk a little bit about, about some of those. I I think what that comes down to is, is something called the character of Christ. If you serve a mission, I hope that you hear this talk. You probably will hear it in the MTC. And I love this talk. And, and this is what I base my whole homecoming talk off of. Um, and basically what it says is that the true character of Christ is to be able to turn outwards in love and compassion when the natural man is to turn inwards. Um, and, and, and I really do think that that sums up people that have the gospel of Jesus Christ engraven on them versus have it received. Um, because when things get hard, when the going gets rough, like, what do you do? Um, a great example of this, my, my first branch president, um, we would do these things called wood halls, and basically nobody had heat there. And so, so we would go up and chop down trees all day and bring it back. It, it was super fun. Um, and he had a young family. His dad actually used to be a medicine man for the Navajo culture, and he was training to be a medicine man. Had some really cool miracles happen in his life um, with, with his son. And, and uh, you know, his, long story short, he doesn't have a great relationship with his family, but he went from training to be a medicine man to receiving the, the power of God through the Melchizedek priesthood. Um, and he became a branch president, right? Super cool story. And I've never seen anything like him. He, he's got a you know, young family, and, and he's got to keep his own place. But we would go up every... <clears throat> Uh, we would go up every week, and and cars would just come by, and he would chop down the tree, and he would load up the car, and and the car would leave, and and and, and you know these are long projects, and this is very physical, manual labor, um, and he did it again and again and again, and we'd stay with him all day until the sun was going down, and the whole branch had a truck full of wood, and we finally had to had to get his his truck wood, and so we went and chopped down a tree and put the wood in his truck. Um, and I'll, I'll never forget this moment we were driving back after he had helped serve the people all day. Um, and he stopped by a widow's house and, and he, he gave them all the wood left in his truck. And, and he went home with no wood that day. And that is the character of Christ to me. Those are the people that have like <clears throat> the gospel of Jesus Christ engraven on them. Because um, you know, he was out working all day long. And, and he just, you know, the last little thing we could do for him is, is heat his house. And he goes home and he, and he drops it off on the way back. Um, and <laughs> sorry, that was more about it. it took up <laughs> some time. But but he really, really is. Um, and another one of my branch presidents, my second area, he was he was single. And he had been a, a bishop or branch president for, for 45 years. That was a really long time. Um, and he had just gotten called as, as the branch president again. Mm-hmm. And he was 83 years old. 83? 83 years old. Oh, wow. Bishop Deswood. I guess he was a bishop, yeah. Bishop Deswood. He was 83 years old. Um, and he served with all his heart, might, mind, and strength. And he, after 40 years, he got up every Sunday. And we talked about the less active, who had been less active for 40 years that he still cared about. And we talked about the family struggling. Um, and, and he, you know, endured to that. And I, I just think... Like, I wish everybody could meet these people. They're amazing. Yeah, um, it's for some interesting churches. I mean, but both areas I served on the reservation in the Bulgar- in Bulgaria. I only served in, uh, I think, one ward or maybe two wards. My whole mission, Bulgaria. We served in a branch that had two. I guess it wasn't a branch. Well, we had two active members, so it was two members and then the missionaries. Wow. Yeah. Um. That made for <laughs> that made for some interesting Sundays. Um. 
but yeah, I mean, the, the church is small. There's a lot of work with less active. There, there was a thing called the placement program. If, if you want to really get into it, you can look it up. But basically, the church partnered with the Reservation for Education, and, and a lot of people got baptized. And you know, for a lot of people, it, it was great. Um, but a lot of people kind of got a good education and, and have faded from the church since. So there was a lot of a lot of kind of inactive, inactive work. Um, yeah, in, in Bulgaria, the church is really small. We don't have a, a ward in, in the whole country. We have four branches. In the whole country? The whole country. There's four branches. I mean, you have a population of 8 million people. You've got about 100 active members in the whole country. Well, honestly, more like 75. Um, and, you know, it, it really teaches you a lot. I remember there'd be a couple of weeks where to hop on the Zoom and, or go into church, and we would be the only ones there. And, you know, it, it really gave me the question, like, wow, like, am I – honest? to be honest with you, like, I thought, I'm like, am I, like, going crazy? Like, is this really, like – the work of the Lord or like am I like crazy because like we would just get yelled at in the streets and like the people would talk to us and like we would work so hard just out you know out and about talking to people all day you know week after week and then we would show up and it'd just be like just us and one other person just us and two people at church and like to be honest with you like I I think I like started going like a little I don't know I don't know what you want to call it crazy well and, it's tough if no or, one's coming even the member people who are baptized yeah so. exactly and you know when you're when you're the only person out there you know wow you know really kind of it's easy to second guess yourself on things like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I really have a testimony of this and I think it's really cool because, you know, I think everybody has to ask the question, if you were the only one that walked into church every Sunday, would you still go? Um, and there were some members who did and that's very impressive. And I would hope that I could always say yes. Um, that's, that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. And I think even, even if we do say yes, we wouldn't know until we were in that spot. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> hopefully that never comes. True, true. <laughs> How did you feel when you got the call you were making it to Bulgaria? Yeah, wow. Um, <laughs> I didn't really think I was ever going to make it. Uh, I had about nine months left on my mission, and I hadn't really heard anything, and it all moved really quick. Um, to be honest with you, I, that was probably the most comfortable I had been on my mission, which is really not that comfortable. So <laughs> I don't know if you ever get super comfortable. Um, but life was good. I was in a great area with an amazing companion and, you know, my world kind of got upended. Um, I probably should have been doing a lot more language study than I was. Had you been studying Bulgarian at all? A little bit. I mean, it's not, it's kind of rare to meet a Bulgarian speaking Navajo. Those days, yeah. <laughs> as often. By the way, actually speaking of that, you, did you speak mostly English on the reservation? Yeah, we, we would learn phrases and terms. Like I can like speak my testimony a little bit. Okay. Well, um, we we would sometimes sing to like the the old ladies there. Sing to the old ladies yeah, in, in Navajo. In Navajo. Yeah, we can do that like sacrament prayer. I said like reading a little bit, um, like my testimony I can do. But can nothing. you give us a sample, or is that I don't want to put you on the spot? You say like <laughs> for the whole everybody. Um, if you want to say like I want Nishne, that means I love you, which is cool. It actually means the sound that my heart makes when I'm around you. I yeah. love the language. It's like very like descriptive and very like poetic. Wow, which I think is cool. Um, they called the missionaries the Gomale. Which is means the Gomale? one that ta- Gomale, which doesn't mean right. elder. It means the one that talks with God. Ah, Isn't that cool? That so when people cool. feel like, oh, like the Gomale are here. They're like, oh, it's like the God whisperer. Give you some actually, authority. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't wear we couldn't wear those texts, <laughs> but they would call us that. I thought it was cool. They're like, oh, it's like it's like the God whisperer. That's literally what it means. Cool. Um, but yeah, that's cool. So behind on the Bulgarian study though, so you make it there, and oh, yeah. Um, and we, by the way, how much did you have left on your mission when you got there? So I got there in October and I came back in June. So okay. um, a little less than a year. A little bit less than a year. I was coming up on, on my on my six months left and it felt like I was starting over again. Um, it's very, 
very humbling experience. Um, but one I'm thankful for. Actually, we were in uh, Croatia for two weeks. We got a little mini mission vacation, uh, which is nice. So is that basically... quarantine? Yeah. Well, it well it was, but we could go wherever we wanted. Wow. So we saw like I'm not gonna lie, like we saw a lot of Croatia, like cool places. Like we had <laughs> like if, this, if you ever want like a like a worldly uh, a worldly incentive to go out of it, we stayed we stayed in a super nice hotel. And they had all of our food. It was good. It was only for a couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, so when we got to Bulgaria, things were very very interesting. The mission was was really kind of struggling. Um, when we got there, the missionaries that had kind of been through the pandemic left 48 hours after we got there. Um, and so it was really just, <laughs> man, did it feel like us against the world. It was like um, a whitewash of the mission. It was, yeah, we whitewashed our mission. Wow. And and nobody knew the language. It, and about my second week there, I was put with a companion who, who had been in Bulgaria just as long as I had. We'd each been there two weeks and we got sent to a, to a town all by ourselves. Um, wow. Like you want to talk about learning some lessons. That's, you know, wow. That was tough. <laughs> But it was it was good. Tell us about some of your favorite experiences in Bulgaria. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, I always freaking. There's there's some cool ones. Um, so when I first got to this this city, the city was called Plovdiv. It's the it's the oldest city in Europe, which is cool. I, it's beautiful. I love serving there. Um, <clears throat> it was hard. That was probably the hardest hardest thing I've I've ever done. Um, we had just been there two weeks and, and we didn't know anything. There weren't missionaries in that city. There hadn't been for years. Um, and when we came back, we were walking the streets and the people saw us back and, and they would spit on us. And, you know, they would get really angry because they thought that they had kicked the Mormon missionaries out. Um, and Eastern Europe is, they used to be communist and, and there's some pretty hostile attitudes to the church there. And so the people were not happy to see us back and we weren't happy to be there because <laughs> we couldn't talk to them and we didn't know what they were saying. And, and, Maybe that was a blessing because I'm sure it couldn't have <laughs> couldn't have been positive. Um, and maybe they were spitting spitting on you to say, "We love you, elders. Welcome back." Yeah, I, I heard. I heard <laughs> they, they, it's a culture thing in Eastern Europe. <laughs> I don't know, but, but that actually would happen. Yeah, a few people times. would just like push yeah. around and. Yeah, it was. Um, it's interesting. We we can't wear our tags there because there's mm-hmm. been some uh, interesting situations <laughs> in the past. We we tried it out, but for a couple of weeks and it the role was put back in place pretty quickly. Wow. Um, but it, it was it was hard and frankly, it was scary, to be honest with you. I remember times people would be yelling at me just in my face and I just, I had no idea. I felt so out of control of the situation. Um, but we, you know, I we really did try our best. And, and I really learned that like, you know, faith isn't faith if you have something else to hold on to. Mm. And I had never been in a point in my life where I needed to have so much faith. Um, and I feel like a lot of times in the church, I, I feel like we, we, we do that more than we should. We, we have faith in things, but we also have a backup plan. Um, and, and, I, and, you know, it's important, but, you know, when push comes to shove, things get hard. I, you know, you know, maybe, you know, money's really tight or and you're like, oh, you know, should I pay tithing? And you're like, well, like, you know, you don't have the fallback option. You know, and, it, and it's good. Like, I'm sorry, maybe you should take that out because it's about like savings and stuff. But I, I do think that, like sometimes in the church that, that, that we show our faith with a backup plan. Um, and we kind of hold on to the backup plan. And, and, you know, if the Lord tells us to do something, like, oh, great. But, like, oh, here's what's, you know, going to happen if it doesn't work out. Here's what happens if the faith isn't there and, and this doesn't happen. What's an example of that? Um, yeah, I, 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 think, I think a good example of this is, is, you know, tithing. A lot of people, they've built up savings. And, like, you know what? Well, I've got the savings, 
so I've got faith to pay tithing. And, and I think it needs to be reversed. I have the faith to pay tithing so that I'll be able to have savings. Um, and so I, I, you know, I think that's an example of, of you know, faith with a backup plan um, or, or things like, you know, callings where a lot of people say like, oh, like, I, you know, I, I can get this done. Here's my faith. I'm going to do the calling. But, oh, I've got a lot of support around me. And I know that if, if you know, if, if things get really, really bad, you know, Relief Society President is going to going to show up or, or you know, something going to show up with a meal at my door or something like that, which is great. And like you need community in the church. Um, but I, I do think that, that sometimes it's easy to have, you know, faith with a backup plan. And, and I think that that happens to us more often than, than we'd like to admit. And I can't remember a time in my life when I really was like, I, it was so out of my control. And, and I feel like I like things in my control. I like to be in charge of my plans and my future. And, and I'm very like, okay, like this is how I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm a planner. Um, and so to be able to like go there and like not talk to anybody, I was like, this is, it's out of my control. I'm like, like, it was so crazy. Like, I could not believe like what was happening. Um, but, but I, I, I like to share, sorry, I'll keep this quick, but just a, a quick story. We would have these lessons a lot of the time. And, and this just goes to show you how, how true the message is and, and how powerful the spirit is where we would sit down and, and talk with somebody and we couldn't understand them and they couldn't understand us. And when we would say, okay, same time next week. And they would say, yes. <laughs> and we're like, what in the world? Like, I couldn't believe it. Um, and actually, I remember <laughs> when we first got there, we only knew the days of Tuesday and Thursday on the week. We didn't. We couldn't even say all seven days. And so we could only meet with people on Tuesdays and Thursdays <laughs> <laughs> until we learned how, you know, all seven days of the week and, and could communicate. Um, and, and because of that, our, this is just our first couple of weeks, we, we booked these appointments um, with, with two inactive members. One was named Georgi and one was named Brat Panchev. I don't, I don't know. It's just classic Bulgarian names. Wow. And um, we, we booked them, and because our language was so bad, we booked them at different times. And you have to admit, like, going into these lessons are just, like, honestly, like, it was heartbreaking because, like, you wanted to share what you had. And at this point, I had learned so many teaching skills and things in my other mission that I was, like, ready to go. And my testimony was ready to go. And, and I, I would get, honestly, I would get really, really frustrated. I couldn't express to the people the way that I felt. Um, and that was really, really hard. Um. But I remember this this night. It was a, it was a cold winter night around Christmas. Cold winter nights. Cold winter nights, right? I think that's how every classic mission story goes. Um, but but these these two men walked in together, and we're like, oh crap! We're like, we told them the wrong time. Like the lesson was double booked, and we had different lesson plans laid out, and you know, we've been practicing all day for this. And um, <clears throat> sorry, I remember. Uh, Georgi walked in and, and then and then brought Pancha walked in and and they saw each other and we were just like this is a mess and then and then they started crying together and and they started praying together and singing together and I <laughs> I didn't really know what was happening um, <clears throat> but afterwards um, we were able to, to piece together that that brought Pancha had actually baptized Georgi a few years before. Um, and that they were both going to commit to coming back to church. Um, right? Like, what are the odds of that? That there's these random two members that you call in the small branch that one had ended up baptizing the other. Um, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and, 
and I think, you know, it really goes to show that we have the faith and like when we do give our best efforts, like it really is enough. Um, and, and that was really, really a true, a true tender mercy and a miracle from God, because really at that point, I, I really, really, truly did feel like I was giving everything I had to it and I was exhausted and, and I hated being out there. Um, and, and I didn't really feel like I was making much meaning to the people because they didn't want me there and they hated that I was there. And I couldn't speak to them. And I thought, what's the point? Um, but I really was trying my best. And uh, that, was a, that, was, that was just a cool testimony to me. I think that's also a cool example of how, you know, even when people, when missionaries aren't that capable, I mean, like in the language, you're no, very yeah. capable. No, no. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> no, when you, I when, totally get like it. Like when you don't have the capacity to say everything you need to say, he'll use you to book appointments at the same time where people will come together and we'll decide to come back to church. Like that's, I think, a clear example of what you said, turning it all to God. He's in charge here, mm-hmm. not us, not me, not you. But when we do our best and we follow the Spirit, he'll use us, Yeah, which is cool. cool. Any other favorite people that you taught in Bulgaria? Here's, here's, a, here's a cool story. We were, we were teaching this man named... Uh, also named Georgi. Gosh. Common <laughs> name. Actually, no, it was Yuri. It was Yuri. Yuri. Okay, yeah. Uh, we found him just like on a street contact and we were at the church. Um, and at this time, um, I guess I'll, I need to cut this out, but I'll have to ask Michaela if I can share this story. There, you know, you know Michaela Pierce, right? Her yep. <laughs> older sister, they had just, um, their, their, their daughter had just kind of gone through a really hard time. Um, she just gotten into into this injury, and, and it was just really kind of bad, and and it was just hard. And, and I had seen, you know, earlier that day, just prayers, you know, prayers for her daughter. And I I remember I was sitting at a lesson that night, and I was teaching Yuri, and he had never prayed before. He didn't know who God was. He didn't know anything about it. And when I talked to him, I was like, Hey, like, will you pray for us? Uh, yeah, I'd really appreciate that. And he didn't know how. And he's like, Hey, is there is there anything that that you would like me to pray for? And I was like, yeah, actually, you know, really, like, it would mean a lot. Like, there's this there's this girl right now um, who's on the other side of the world in, in a hospital bed. And uh, she's, she's pretty sick. Um, and, and, and he agreed. And, and it was the first prayer that he had ever, he had, ever had. Um, and the spirit was just really strong. And I just thought it was really, really cool, the power of that. Some random guy in some random country across the world is praying for this little girl thousands and thousands of miles away with a sincere heart, praying that she would be better. Um, that really was just this moment of, I don't know, faith in God, faith in humanity, just that there were so many good people in this world. You know, that I, I was so far away from home, and, and this, you know, this poor family probably felt like home was really far away for them too. Um, and he prayed for her. And, and I'll just never forget that. I, that really you know, increased my testimony of prayer. It hasn't been something that's been easy for me to, to get a testimony, but that, that sure did. Prayer is a cool thing. Um, I remember hearing the first prayer um, one of my favorite people I taught give, and it's super simple. Um, I, I don't even know if he closed in the name of Jesus Christ, you know, thinking looking back, but I was a mess. Like, it's just so powerful when people take those steps. Um, because there's something unique about it. And I think yeah. some of the things that we take for granted, like prayer and scripture study that we have done since we were little kids, when people get to experience that for the first time, 
it's really cool and really powerful and it's something I think that we sometimes need to be more grateful for the opportunity to do okay well Chanda we are almost out of time Um, there's a lot of questions I want to ask you but one I definitely want to is over the course of your missionary experience how did your testimony in Jesus Christ change uh, um, I I think that that it really changed for me between believing in Christ and believing Christ and, and kind of who He is and and really His power, um, and to see that the love that He has for people and and the way that that He really wants everybody to come back to Him. Um, I think one thing that a lot of missionaries will talk about is the power that they have, or I don't know power is the wrong word, but, but the ability that they have to, to kind of see th- things the way that God sees a little bit more. Um, and and I just, I really, really, I really love that. Um, th- there's a couple of scriptures real quick, or more it's a word that has really meant a lot to me over the course I mentioned it. And the word is, the word is Terry. Um, I've talked about this a lot with some other missionaries. Um, and it's interesting, the, the word is used a few times. One of them is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Christ asks his disciples to tarry with him while he goes in and performs the atonement. Um, and, and they fall asleep, right? They, they weren't able to do it. And, you know, I, I can't imagine how they're feeling. And I'm not blaming There's so many factors that went into that. Um, but, you know, Christ said, will you tarry with me? And, and they couldn't. My favorite chapter in the Book of Mormon is 3 Nephi chapter 18. Um, you see the same word, Terry, come. Jesus had been teaching the people. <clears throat> and uh, he he tells them, uh, pretty much, he's like, hey, I, it's my time to leave now. Like, I got to go. I got to go talk to the Father. Like, go to your homes, pray tomorrow, and we'll meet, we'll meet back up together. Um, and <clears throat> it, was, <clears throat> it was just really cool because the people looked at him with tears in their eyes. And they asked him, they used the same word. They said, will you tarry a little longer with us? Um, and I, I really, when I, when I read that scripture, I, I still get overcome by the Spirit um, because I really realized how much I need Christ in my life and, and that if he were to ever leave me, I would really hope that I would look at him and say, why are you leaving? I need you with me every second of every minute. I can't wait until tomorrow. He literally told me to be back tomorrow. And, and they couldn't do it. And I think sometimes in my life, if Christ were to leave, do I say, oh, well, like, that's okay. Like, I'll see you tomorrow. Or is it the thought of him leaving that I look up with him and it tears in my eyes and say, can you please, like, just tarry a little bit longer with me? And I testify that he always will if we allow him to. But there's no need for him to ever leave us. Um, and, and I feel like I just become so dependent on him and so reliant on him and so got comfortable enough with him that, that I never wanted him to leave. Um, and I had never felt that before. Yeah. I love that, Trenton. Thank you for sharing that. And it makes me think, too, at that point, right, they haven't been given the gift of the Holy Ghost. I can imagine how happy they were when that gift was given and how seriously they took that gift. I mean, because the reality is, like, if we are living worthy of the Spirit, then he's always with us. And so, I mean, to take your point, like even just one step further into what we live today, 
are we serious enough about serious enough about having the spirit with us that we make choices that will keep the spirit with us? Is it that important to us? Yeah. Which is probably good for all of us to good think about. Reflection. Yeah. Well, Trenton, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to share or that you would tell someone who's preparing to serve a mission or is returned home? Yeah. Um, I'd just like to bear my testimony about the gospel of Jesus Christ and my mission and what it means to me. Um, my mission really, really did did change my life. Um, and, and the mission's great. Kind of going back to where I started earlier, the mission, I, I would, you know, it's my hope and my prayer for every missionary that the mission transitions, well, transitions them from basing what they know on the information they have to the experiences they have. And the mission is full of experiences that are irreplaceable, that you cannot find anywhere else besides a mission. Um, I don't know. That's just my opinion, but I feel like that's, <laughs> I, I, I can't imagine any other situation that you can live the gospel of Jesus Christ in such a way as, as a missionary. Um, and, and I get going out is hard. Um, I definitely had my worries. You know, the pan, it was like the pandemic had started like two months before I left, and, and it was tricky and hard. And, and I didn't know everything, and I don't think that, that you need to, to know everything. Have a testimony of something that makes you passionate. But you don't have to know everything about everything. I still don't, and I still have a lot of questions. Um, but but the, the, the experiences that you get as being a missionary are irreplaceable. They, there's no amount of information that you could receive about the church, that you could sit in a lecture and be taught and soak in your brain that will overcome seeing somebody pray for the first time, seeing the atonement change somebody's life, seeing people that you admire and love, and seeing people who are extremely Christ-like individuals. Um, sorry. Has anybody cried on this podcast more than me? No, more than you. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. Uh, if you ask anybody, they say, oh, did Trenton love his mission? <laughs> Everybody knows, like, I'm, uh, my mission really, really... My mission really did change my life. Um, and I'm grateful for Jesus Christ and for allowing me the opportunity to serve and, and love his people. Um, and I, I'm grateful for Jesus Christ. I testify that he lives. I know that Joseph Smith did see the Father and the Son, but the Book of Mormon is true. I testify that, that there are those around us that need help, that there are people in the world that need you right now that you haven't met yet. I testify that a mission is one of the best choices that you can make in your life. To be honest with you, I feel like that's the best choice I've made in my life at this point, and it's not even close. Um, but the Lord needs you. The Lord needs missionaries. And he doesn't need just a bunch of boys with a white shirt and tags, and he doesn't need just preach my gospel. If it was that easy, he would send out just copies of the scriptures to everybody, and everybody would be converted. But there's people that you need to meet, and frankly, there's people that need to meet you. And it's selfish of you if you choose to turn away from an opportunity that will change your life and change the life of those around you because of the difference that you can make in the world and the greatest work in the world, which is the salvation of souls. There's nothing that will bring you greater joy. No exam, you know, no, no date, no hangout, no basketball game, no championship, no anything that will compare to the joy 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is my testament that I leave with you, not because of the information I know, but the experiences that I've had. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.